Hello everyone, welcome back to the Casual Martial Artist with your hosts Al and Marcus. So as you may remember last time, uh, we were discussing some various martial arts urban legends. So I don't know about you, but I thought that was a fun episode because I mean, I always love urban legends and just there's so much, you know, there's just so much falsehood and fantasies out there about martial arts. It was, in, it's interesting to kind of look into it and uh, take a look at some of these myths and discuss how we think they started. Right. But today though, we're not actually going to be talking about lit myths and legends. Uh, today we're actually going to be talking about more per something more personal. So this episode is entirely unscripted, off the cuff, unplanned. And you had the idea you wanted to do a, an episode called War Stories. So once you uh, just say what you want, what some of your ideas for what you wanted to talk about in this particular episode. Well, the concept of this is like a fireside chat between two friends, um, sharing stories about sparring and fights and competitions we've had. Um, I know I've had a few, and you know, I, there's some stories I can tell with them, and I'll be sharing later on. And I'm sure you had because you've told me them before, even way back as 20 years ago when we were classmates together. Yep. <laughs> and I know we also want to talk a little bit about how martial arts changes you. And we, I know I had an idea for a subject, and we we're kind of uh, wrapping into this episode too. Uh, there was a video that I caught on YouTube by a channel called Self Defense Tutorials. And the it was called Why Study Martial Arts, and the I, I get I, I don't know the name of the I forgot the name of the guy who was putting the video on, but he was describing that martial arts is almost like a, a rite of passage nowadays, because you know back long ago, you know when people had their ancient and uh, tribal civilizations, usually once you got to a certain age you know, you had different rites of passage you had to do, like maybe go out into the wilderness and kill a deer or prove that you could survive on your own for, you know, a week or whatever. And, you know, he was saying that we don't really have that anymore. And he was saying, if you think about it, while there's certainly easier ways to get in shape, because, you know, a lot of people study martial arts for fitness. And a lot of people also study martial arts for self-defense. And there's easier ways to learn to defend yourself. You know, go learn to shoot a gun and get a concealed carry permit. And arguably, you've that's probably going to be a lot easier than learning how to punch and kick and grapple. So one of the things he said in that video, and I don't know if you had a chance to, to watch it or not, but... He said that mm -hmm. one of the reasons we should still practice martial arts or why it's still worthwhile is, in a way, it's become almost a mo uh, – because martial arts does have its own certain rites of passage that we can go through, but and maybe we'll discuss some of those. But one of his main points is perhaps the reason we still practice martial arts is because it's not easy. Uh, so what are your some of your thoughts on that? I don't know. I Speaking only for myself and some of the people who I trained with, because you and I are from a totally different generation. So back in our day, you know, we didn't have a lot of the social consciousness that they have today. I mean, bullying people wasn't seen as as bad as it is today. You know, and if you were bullied and you complained about it, they just told you, you know, man up or toughen up. So me being in the martial arts, at least in the beginning, the genesis was part and parcel to defending myself against the bullying I received. So it's a bit different than someone today where bullying is a lot is, is socially acceptable. So, you know, back then it had to do with me defending myself. Nowadays, it maybe you're right. It has to do with proving themselves. I mean, it, at least it started that way. Later on, it was like probably me trying to prove what an alpha I was trying to be at the time, you know, how misguided I was. But so, yeah, it's changed. So, I think for every generation, they're going to have to reinterpret that. Yeah, and, you know, you do bring up a good point. I mean, because back when, and I think we've discussed a little bit about this uh, when we were doing our episode about traditional martial arts and whether they're still worthwhile. Because, you know, as a kid, we, I mean, come on, we grew up with movies like Karate Kid, where, you know, you got the kid who's bullied and then he, he finds the, you know, the elderly karate master and learns from him and then he fights off all the bullies and, uh, you know, the 
he finds way, you know, the whole wax on, wax off, and trying mm-hmm. to find ways to, uh, you know, apply that to uh, real life fighting situations. So, and again, as I, I think I mentioned this before, it's like back then, you know, the marsh before the UFC came along and before uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu uh, really started to increase in popularity martial arts did have that mystique about it where you thought that okay if you did sign up for karate classes you know a few months later you'd be able to take on any bully and you would never have to worry about it and and anyway, i think you also made a good point about bullying in society and how that has changed now i don't think i would say that's necessarily still considered acceptable but i think yeah the attitude has changed where okay because with my son's school they right. where, he, where he was going for elementary school bullying was they have a zero tolerance policy so right. if and i i know this because my son was dealing with some bully issues uh for a, right. a, a you know a few years so there were times where you know they were explaining that okay if a kid is bullying you around and you fight back you're just as liable as the bully was and right. i personally that wasn't something that we that we really saw in my day. And again, I think you made a good point where it was almost a little bit more, if you gave a bully a taste of his own medicine, even if that meant punching him in, mm-hmm. the, in the nose, you know, hey, he started it, you would defended yourself. And I know because back when I was right. in elementary school, there were times where I had to defend myself from bullies and I didn't have any martial arts training back then. Right. Uh, pretty much any self-defense i got probably came from either watching movies or watching wwf (laughs) so you can imagine how that was right but yeah and i remember there were times where it's like yeah uh there were other kids that did point out to a teacher yeah that other person started it and just put me in a position where i had to defend myself and since i wasn't the aggressor i wasn't the one who got in trouble right so but i think um I don't know, and again, this is maybe a little off topic, but I think one of the things that really changed how we deal with bullies in society was the Columbine Massacre, where, and again, not justifying what those two guys did at all, but uh, there was, it, it was believed that one of the reasons they did what they did is because they were bullied, and that's what one of the things that caused them to you know, get guns and go shoot up their school. And I think that was kind of a wake-up call for America that, hey, look, maybe the old ways of just letting them settle it on the schoolyard isn't Mm -hmm. really the way to go anymore, and we do have to start taking this bullying stuff more seriously. So I don't know, just my opinion, and I know that's a bit off-topic for martial arts. Right. Okay, Sarah, I apologize if I misspoke because, um, you know, I'm suffering from a bad head cold today, but... Yeah, back in our day, um, it was unheard of to have a zero-tolerance policy. You know, on some level, bullying was frowned upon, but but basically you were left to your own devices. You had to defend yourself, you know. You don't see that nowadays because of the prevalence of firearms, but like you said, with Columbine, it pretty much changed everything. And and as I said, I know that's uh, not a topic we discuss, but and, – and I actually was thinking about this the other day because my son – I mean, I, I still remain, continue to get bullied up until around middle school. And so mm-hmm. far with my son, the middle school he's gone to, he hasn't really experienced that. So sometimes I'm almost wonder, okay, he never really grew up having to learn how to defend himself on the schoolyard like that. So should I be almost jealous of him that he doesn't have to deal with the kind of crap that I did? Or... Is it maybe good that I did learn, have to learn how to do that, even if it did meant every now and then I got my butt kicked by the the school bully? So what side do you fly? Do you fall on? I don't know, but in a way, I think I am glad he didn't have. It seems he doesn't have to deal with the same types of bully issues I did, and I think in a lot of ways, I think it is good that they are starting to crack down more on bullying in schools, uh, because. Like I said, you never know when someone who has been bullied is going to get pushed too far, and then the next next thing you know, he's coming into school one day, packing a 
you know, a firearm and he kills several of his, yeah, shows up one day with an AR-15 and shoots down a bunch of classmates. And so to that regard, yes, I am glad that they are, they do take bullying nowadays more seriously. And I think that was probably also one of the other things that did make me want to get into martial arts was, you know, having to learn how to defend myself against bullies as a kid I found it helpful to know how to punch someone and throw someone to the ground. And, hey, martial arts, let me learn how to do that properly. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I, I totally agree with you. It's something I thought about when I first got married. We've never had kids. We've been married for, it'll be 21 years come September. And I always thought to myself, well, would you want your kids to follow in your footsteps, you know, training and wanting to be an MMA fighter or, you know, going into boxing at an amateur level, would you want them to do that? And I wouldn't because the things that led me to do that, my anger and the rage that was inside me from the bullying that I received, I wouldn't want them to go through with that, to have to go through that, to, you know, get that. That's what led me to want to go into the fighting sports. So I wouldn't want them to have to go through that to get that fire in them. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's something that you have to want to do. Uh, again, it's like that, uh, self-defense tutorial host was saying martial arts no it's not easy there's mm-hmm. and while it's certainly there are easier ways to learn to defend yourself and there's certainly easier ways to get in shape yeah because i did try getting my son into martial arts uh last about a year or so ago he didn't really get into it very much though and i didn't want to force him but then again i also right. look at myself i didn't get, start getting into martial arts until college so that's that's actually probably a good place to start when we talk about how it's changed us. And I know you've said that you've, um, you know, one of the reasons that you got into martial arts was dealing with bullying issues. And the first martial art you studied was Taekwondo. So what mm-hmm. was that like for you when you first started studying Taekwondo? It didn't give me any further confidence. It was like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen Tom and Jerry cartoon where Tom keeps he holds his hands like he's got some kind of a secret there and he keeps looking at it and looking where and Jerry keeps like trying to see what it is that he's looking at. And Tom keeps pulling his hands away, pulling his hands away. Finally, he lets Jerry see what's in there. And when Jerry takes a look, he just smacks him on the head, you know, basically with a ruse. That's the way I've come to see Taekwondo. I mean, they keep telling you, Hey, wait, I've got these secrets. Come on, you know, come, come follow, you know, eventually you'll get to learn all of them. But you know, it was all fluff, at least the way I was taught. Maybe in Korea or somewhere else they teach it better, but that's not how I was taught. Yeah, and I'd have to say, again, for me, the first martial art I formally studied was Tang Sudo. And, mm-hmm. it, again, it was always pushed as more like a way of life, something that you, right. you, know, you take with you outside of the dojo. Or, mm-hmm. okay, dojang, I think that's the Korean term for that they use for a training hall. But, yeah, it's the... It's something that you, you know, that con- the the instructor always focused on things like, you know, the confident self-confidence. And he's like, right. yeah, when you take, you know, the self-confidence you develop during training is something you can take with you into the workplace, which I agree. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the things that I did like about that particular instructor is he was the kind of guy that he could find a way to motivate you. And he did always try to help you develop to reach your potential. Um, can I ask you, it's always been my understanding that the pedagogy that's involved with training in taiks, Tang Soo Do is a little bit more realistic than Taekwondo. With what you know of Taekwondo, would you find that to be your experience? Well, from the the months that, the few months that I did do it, uh, again, it was just one college year, so maybe about nine months or so. I would say right. yes, because the place that I did American Freestyle Karate, the person who taught that... Uh, he originally, he had a background in Taekwondo. And it seemed like, again, well, maybe it isn't really fair to judge because by the time I was studying American freestyle karate, I already had several years of training under my belt in, you know, between Tang Sudo, Eskrima, and Kung Fu. But I will say just watching the way they ran classes in there, yeah, it was more... It seemed like they weren't as much in a hurry to teach you how to really be able to defend yourself. And I'd have to say that from studying Tang Sudo, within a few months, I started to feel a little bit better about myself. My confidence was improving. And while, you know, I didn't 
think my I didn't think I would be able to take on someone in you know an experienced fighter of course I felt a lot more confident in my ability to defend myself if the need would arise okay and 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 again I think Escrima added on that because uh, Escrima has always been and one of the things I always liked about it it was always intended more for for combat with Escrima there's no none of this personal development crap none of this uh, you know, searching for enlightenment and none of this learning to be a better person. It's this is how you take a stick and use it to kick someone's ass. <laughs> yeah, it's been my experience. The Filipino martial arts are nothing to mess around with. That's pretty much practical from day one. And having done uh, like with, with Kung Nu, um, some of the I have to say that, you know, again, and I like Kung Nu, but the stick stuff that we've learned in Kung Nu uh, comes from the Vietnamese side of it. And while some of mm-hmm. the strikes aren't necessarily bad, I have to say that the blocking from Escrima is way more effective than the stuff that we, we do in the Kung Nu part of it. Yeah, the blocks look pretty. It's just that I, I think it would be hard to really properly react to an attack off of them. But hey, mm-hmm. sometimes the simple techniques work the best, right? Right. You know, again, when we look at martial arts as a rite of passage, uh, I have to say that one of the things that always stands out for me is your first test. And that would, I think, would be a a significant rite of passage in any martial arts uh, journey is that first test. So for you, what was, uh, do you have any first test experiences that you, that you recall? The first real test to me would probably come from boxing. Conventional wisdom, everything I'd read and heard said to me that you weren't supposed to spar until you've been in a month to six weeks of training. Well, we had this gentleman in our club. He was in his mid-40s, had about 80, 90 fight, amateur fights. Um, they called him Pablo, but that wasn't his name. You know, he just, but everyone knew him as that. Well, he was a co-trainer. My third day training, he says, okay, get in the ring. And so I'm in the ring with him, and that guy just administered a bike into me that you would not believe all I could really do is put, I mean, I thought I knew what my, I thought I knew my stuff. I thought I was, you know, been training, you know, off and on for five years on in my basement. And then, you know, I was good on the bags. I looked pretty sound. It made the bag pop. Nope. All I could do is hold my hands up and let out a weak little jab, you know, every once in a while, which he just laughed off. So, and he just like pounded me pillar to post the funny thing after that was, was he was really, really generous with his time and his training after that. Treated me like a son. He, um, you know, it, to me, that was like the initiation because I found out later he made two other guys quit after sparring with him. So, you know, maybe that was something he, he looked at is trying to get you, um, you know, get it to where you had to pass by him first to, you know, to be eligible to train there in his mind. But uh, he didn't really, I don't think he had a conception of how hard he went on the guys. <laughs> so when I was in there, yeah, when I was in there with him, he just went all out. I lasted the full distance, but you know, it was mostly with me with my hands up taking punches constantly. So, yeah, and and you know that's interesting because I wonder if yeah that was his intent, where it's like he does go rough on you right away because mm. he wants to see what you're made of. Uh, right. Again, just uh, in professional wrestling, I think it was like Hulk Hogan did mentioned that his first wrestling trainer like broke his leg and mm-hmm. maybe not like broke the bone but he he messed up his leg pretty badly and the reason he did that is he wanted to see if he would come back and there was a there's a humor website i like reading called cracked.com and they did have one app one uh article written on there by a guy who did some martial arts and he was uh, he was talking about his experience getting into MMA, and the again that he was he got his back messed up the first day where I, I think he said the instructor intentionally misapplied some hold and it caused a disc in his back to slip. So then for the he literally wow. had to cl- crawl out of the ring on his hands and knees because he couldn't get up and you know when the coach basically made him spend the rest of that training session getting water for the other students so he was you know again crawling he would crawl on his hands and knees to the kitchen 
fill up a water, you know, jug of water and take it back. And it's like, okay, wow. now I, to some extent I can see how you want to try to, I mean, I guess I can, in some ways I can see why some instructors would want to do that if they, to see what you're made of, but come on, intentionally injuring a student the first day, that's a little extreme. My first time training in um, Fond du Lac with the guys I trained in Fond du Lac, my first session, the guy who was, uh, you know, kind of the head of the club, the leader, the instructor, if you will, didn't like that I was lasting the distance with you. And so when I started gassing and he could put the finishing hold on, he put me a windpipe choke instead of just a regular, you know, rear naked choke. So I was like, um, okay, you know, I'm first of all, I'm paying you. Second of all, we're supposed to be training mates. You know, if you injure a training mate, you won't have anyone else to train with. For a while you know you so okay i let that pass and then he did a couple other sketchy things so i said ah forget this so i trained with some other guys from there after that but him i never paid again him i never saw again so yeah and, and i'd have to say to get back to the whole idea of that first test mm-hmm. i mean it's in it's interesting the way they did it because in my first test in tank sudo because in tank sudo you tested as a class so it was like okay you know, right. you had people of different belt levels, so it's like, okay, everyone do this, 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 and this. Okay, those of you who just tested for this belt, go sit down. Now everyone else do this, 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 and this. And then, okay, now anyone who tested for this rank, go sit down. And you did that until everyone had been had displayed all their material. So being a lower rank, my first test there lasted like 10 minutes maybe. And... Mm-hmm. Then my second one uh, went like, I don't know, like maybe a little longer, like 15 minutes. So, again, it wasn't that long. Now, I don't remember how long the first test was in Eskrima. But then again, with the Eskrima, we weren't an officially recognized club. So it was more informal where the instructor would be like, okay, if you can't meet at our regular times, then just, you know, we'll we'll meet somewhere to, to do it. But... One of the things that really was an interesting experience for me was my first test in Kung Fu. Uh, it didn't take place at the normal time. It was a Saturday morning. It was just me, the instructor, and another guy. Three hours for the first, you know, your your first test, three hours. So I always thought that was interesting because, and one of the things I did like about how my Kung Fu instructor tested us it wasn't just, okay, I want to see you perform the technique correctly. He would ask questions like, okay, why do you have your foot in that position? Why do you move this way? So it wasn't just proving that you could do the technique, but you also had to know why you did it that way, which in other martial arts I've studied, they don't get into that until quite a bit later. Was there a moment in your training where you were, you basically, uh, you were tested in your own mind and you passed it and you said, okay, this is something I'm good at. This is something I can do. Was there a moment like that you experienced? Yeah, I would have to say, honestly, it was probably my first test in Tang Sudo because, again, it did it did develop that self-confidence that I didn't know I had. And uh, it is one of the things that really, as I said, even though it was just a short test, the fact that I was able to perform the material and then also watching what some of the other students were capable of doing yeah, that's one of the things that really made me say, okay, I want to do martial arts. I can do this. So what about you? Was there ever a time in your training where there was a kind of that aha moment where it's like, I can do this. This is something I want. I used to fire this kid. He was a teammate of mine. He was uh, about my physical in almost every sense, except he was maybe a division lower, which is only a few pounds. And uh, he was two years old and a Marine reservist and Cal was tough as nails. Came to fight every single time, put up a good put up a good match, and gave me a run for my money. The first two times I sparred with him. Third time, I figured I'd try to you know I tried to go slow and let and see if I could wear him out in the first round, and then come out you know strong in the second. That worked, and I just came out boom 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 you know tagging him with everything you know even punches I didn't think should land I, I got him with, which showed that I was. I had the skills for the game if I fought smarter. Now, what it also did was make me question whether I wanted to be there at all because his head was kind of um, swirling around and his eyes were kind of 
rolling in the back of his head some of the times on him, like toward the end of the round, because, um, you know, I thought to myself, hey, you're good at it, but do you really want to, this is serious business, kill someone, because I've seen fighters that I like get in the ring and get killed. And you don't even have to be the hardest puncher in the world. You know, you can land someone when they're having a bad day and that's it. They're crippled for the rest of their life. So, yeah, it taught me that I could really fight, taught me that I was good, but it also made me say, well, is this what you want to do? Because it's a knitting class. You're out there trying to hurt someone. They're trying to hurt you. So, teach me a lot about myself. So this is another interesting question. Have you ever had a moment where, has there ever been a time where you've, you had a moment where you just almost wanted to kind of quit, where it's almost like made you think, okay, maybe other than your boxing thing there, because I know you said that, you know, yeah, it made you feel good that you could do that, but you also realized you had to be careful. Did you ever have any experiences in your martial art training where it was almost discouraging, where you almost wondered, okay, maybe I should just give it up and, I don't know, take up chess or knitting instead? Yeah, different. I had about three or four times. First time was in boxing where I gave that. And I wanted to try to help my grade to get into university. I was a senior. Then I finally said, hey, at the very end, you go to university. So I tried to do that. And, you know, ended up being one of your classmates later on. Second time was MMA when, uh, like I said, I was offered that fight for 200 bucks. And it was, you even want to do this, go through all that. And the third time was the last time I think about it. So I was working really hard. And that was the shame of it. I was really smart, working smarter than I had even when I was in my prime. And my, my, I felt my body just start deteriorating. It was like I wasn't enough to get over the injuries. I was taking two weeks off here, a week off there. And it seemed like I was having to heal from something more than anything. So, yeah, old age finally sent me into retirement permanently. <laughs> Doing yoga now. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's certainly something that I think, uh, I, you know, I can certainly relate to when – I know there have been a couple mm -hmm. times where, again, I've just had situations where I wasn't sure if I should really be doing this anymore. Um, there was one situation, I'm wanting to say it was back in 2003 or 2004, because uh, after, because when I, I started Kung Fu in 95, but then the next year my instructor had to move down to Madison. So, I mean, he would come up, there were a couple of his other Kung Fu students I would work out with and still try to learn from. And not only that, he would come up every now and then. And whenever he was in town, he would try to touch base with us so we could, you know, work out, you know, see where we were. And I remember when I got to the point where I was starting to get ready for some of the more advanced stuff, because the way that that particular style of kung fu worked is okay you had your belts you know white yellow orange blue or green and then blue and then after that would be purple belt where what you had to do for that is you had to develop your own unique form consisting uh or no that i'm sorry for the purple belt you had to learn the the a 30 technique form and then for black belt you had to develop your own 15 technique form wow. and the thing that was tricky about that is, and again, when I was trying to show some of my, when I would eventually show some of these techniques to my instructor, one of the things he would always ask is, okay, how is that Kung Fu? Because the way he described it is this should be kind of like doing a report. You know, everything you've learned in the other forms, that's your material that you've learned. Now let's see how well you can imply that. And uh, again, this was around the time where I hadn't had a chance to really train as much as I wanted to. So when he did come to meet with me and we met up and I showed him some of the techniques I was working on, uh, let's just say he was less than impressed. The way, <laughs> you know, I like my Kung Fu instructor, don't, don't get me wrong, but he was one of those guys that was, he didn't sugarcoat things. He was very straight and forward. And like I said, he was not very impressed with techniques and he even right out said, it's like you're wasting my time. So... Wow. Yeah, when your instructor, you know, someone that you've been, you know, really looking up to tells you that, I think you're just wasting my time. Yeah, that stings a little bit. And so that was one of the points where, again, I was almost like, you know, maybe I should forget martial arts and just, okay, I'll work on weightlifting and jogging and trying to get in shape that way. But, 
you know, maybe practice Kung Fu in my backyard. But as I said, I try not to let me get that, let that get me down. And then in 2015, when he came back up, you know, I did show him the 15 technique form that I had developed and he was a lot more impressed with it. And, you know, when I was explaining, okay, this is how it's Kung Fu. This is how this technique would work. He said, you know, definitely very mature, uh, you know, matured answers. So he could, he could tell that I had grown and matured as a martial artist. And Mm -hmm. so that just made me really, uh, happy about myself. You know, that, that filled me with a certain feeling of pride, but then we had an old man moment because I'm like, I was thinking about it. And it's like, do you know, it's, it was about 20 years ago that I first started studying Kung Fu with you. And we both kind of looked at the ground for a moment and then was like, we're old. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah. And even when I started getting back into, cause what happened is after, see, 2015 was a weird year for me. I was starting mm-hmm. to lose weight again. I was starting to, you know, get control of things. And then about partway through the year, I had my herniated disc in my neck. So that totally derailed me because for six weeks, I was, you know, I couldn't exercise or work out anymore. And then just because of the way things were going at my job, I started putting stuff off. And then, you know, back in 2017, when I started getting into back into martial arts again with Kung New there have been a lot of times in there where it's like I was barely making it through, you know, the, the sessions. And again, I kept thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't have, maybe I shouldn't be back in martial arts yet. Maybe I should have worked on getting myself in better shape first. And, you know, eventually those feelings went away, but then they restarted again last year because I had to miss a bunch of classes because of overtime at work. Then my knee got messed up. Then my neck got messed up. Then I started to get back, uh, you know, I started to finally get past that. And then my knee got messed up again. So it's like for several months, I was hardly exercising at the intensity I did before. So again, when I got back into, you know, back into class, it was like, you know, yeah, it's, I mean, my instructor understands that I'm, you know, trying to, you know, get back that strength and stamina. But yeah, it's still, it had one of those moments where I was almost wondering, okay, maybe I shouldn't be doing martial arts anymore. Maybe I'm just getting too old and not as in good shape for it as I used to be. Right. Now, you did mention sparring. It's a very, it's, I think one thing we can both agree on is that sparring is an essential part of any martial arts curriculum because mm-hmm. it's one thing to be able to throw punches and kicks in the air, but it's an entirely different thing to try to punch and kick someone who doesn't want to be punched or kicked. So what exactly. I so what are some other good stories or experiences you've had from sparring sessions? Well, I did have the sparring session with a future UFC fighter. That was just a grappling session though. That wasn't um anything to do with uh stand up fighting. And like I said, I did get tapped out twice to him with a gi on, but with a, with no gi. We were pretty even back then. Now, granted you got to think that this is 1998 so he was green i was green you know i'm sure he'd rip me a new one in no time nowadays but back then we were both at about the same level so yeah had a lot you know that taught me a lot because when later on when he became you know a named fighter i was like hey you know what maybe i could have pursued it if i had you know kept up with it but i got married and i basically kneecapped my training (laughs) (laughs) do you have any competition stories uh, no, cause I actually, I've never done any competitions. Um, mm-hmm. so that's, I mean, then again, that's not something I was, well, well, I think there's a couple reasons why I've never got into it. Uh, it's not something I got involved in martial arts for, but the places I studied at didn't really go to any of the competitions. Cause I know competitions are, mm-hmm. you know, a big part of Taekwondo and, you know, jujitsu. And I'm, right. I think judo has got, uh, some competitions as well. So what are some of the um, competition stories that you have? Do you have, have any, I mean, did you ever fight in any tournaments or? Yeah, I was the Wisconsin State Boxing Champion of 1992. The most famous fight that I had was probably at the Eagles Club here in Osh. Well, it was called the Eagles Club, but it's called the Howard now. They renovated and put more parking and it's a night, uh, kind of like a nightclub and they hold concerts there sometimes. 
But it's a little really old club back from like 1914. And back then it looked it. So it was um, a little intimate venue and um, like a thousand people showed up. And I was fighting this really tough kid from Menominee Falls. Uh, again, it basically my physical mirror. But and you could tell this kid had been in street fights because um, he kicked me. He tried to thumb me in the eyes. He hit me low. He did just about every um, dirty thing you could do to somebody. You know, at one point when I was getting the best of him, he even bent down, picked up my legs and threw me through the ropes. So that's how rough this kid was. Yeah. And uh, is, I, isn't that an illegal move in boxing? <laughs> it is. It is. And the referee stopped him and gave him a warning. I was glad he didn't take a point away because I didn't want to win that way. You know, I wanted to, I was all full of bravado and I wanted to show this kid who the better fighter was. And, um, uh, it kind of went like the sparring session. The sparring session taught me a lot because this kid did the same thing. He came in, blew his load in the first round. You know, just swinging it, just throwing punches here and there. Boom, 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 boom. Kid was like built like a brick manure house, right? He had all the muscles, but he didn't know how to punch worth a damn. I mean, he didn't know the mechanics of putting your weight behind it. You know, he was just big and muscly. So I was covering up, moving around, slipping the punches, doing a jab when I could, you know, making sure I didn't get hit with anything stupid. And so the round ends and he ended up winning the round on everyone's scorecard. So second round starts and I come out jabbing again, you know, moving around and he throws this really lazy punch and I see him like swinging in it and pulling it back, like really tired. Like he's already gassed. So I start laughing to myself, like <laughs> my turn, you know, like keep yourself <laughs> Southern, um, lost voice. And so I go on and now I'm just throwing serious leather and, and, and he's just, you know, not knowing what to do. And so, you know, I think I've got him out. I'm like, boom, 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 boom. Finally, that's when he reached out and picked me up and threw me through. So I get back up and I can hear the crowd like in the back of my head, you know, in the background thinking that, oh, crap, he's, you know, because we're in Oshkosh. So they were all on my side because I was, you know, the house fighter. And they're thinking that, oh, you know, that that might've done a number on me, but you know, as soon as I start punching him again, taking up where I started or where I left off, they start screaming again and start getting in my corner. And, and, you know, finally, uh, I thought I'd give him a little bit of his own medicine. So when the the bell rang for the final, you know, to end the round, second round, I, I gave him one good haymaker, right? You know, <laughs> when the round was done. So third round, we come out and we both go at it. And, um, it was a little bit more even round, but I pulled it out because I had the better, uh, you know, I was, wasn't taking as many punches. Him, I was hitting flush. Me, he was either missing or hitting me on the gloves because I had a pretty good defense. I remember doing some body punches and him looking at me like, you know, why are you hitting me there? You're not supposed to be hitting me back. You know, really weird <laughs> bully mentality. Yeah, like like I wasn't supposed to be like, I don't know if the people he was sparring with weren't, you know, putting up a good fight or what, but he was, seemed to be shocked that I was hitting him back. So, yeah, I ended up winning that night, and uh, it was a really fun experience, yeah. Yeah, that's – oh, geez. And so just like curiosity with boxing, now, I think there's, like, what, four recognized styles of boxing? Like, I think it's, like, classic or outboxing, uh, swarmers, brawlers, and I think there's one other uh, style. Just like curiosity, what style of boxing did you usually practice? I was a boxer-puncher. I was a slick – um, jabber and counter puncher. I love being okay. being defensive. I love making a guy miss, countering, and then seeing you know look on his face like, how the heck did you, you know, did you hit me when I wasn't looking, wasn't expecting it? So yeah, I I kind of martial arts mentality into boxing and, and made it into a science. That's cool because um, I have to say just from what I've read about the styles of boxing, if I ever got into it, um, the style I always liked, and I think this is what you probably were doing too. Similar to the style that Muhammad Ali would do, where he would try to stay out of the range mm -hmm. and then take advantage mm -hmm. of uh, missed strikes to do his own counterattack. So I know I was just kind of curious, like, right. which style of boxing that you tended to fall under. Yeah. Um, with Muhammad, with guys like Muhammad Ali, this, the strategy is important, but I could never really steal a lot from him or from, like, say, Roy Jones Jr. They depended so much on their speed and their other attributes. That even if sloppy technique, it didn't matter because they were so quick and they were so, uh, you know, 
they had such physical attributes that it didn't matter. It made up for their lack of technique. But the ones I really went after were, I don't know if you've heard of this gentleman named Wilfred Benitez, defensive master. Pernell Whitaker, he was a 1984 gold medalist. He was a defensive master. Sugar Ray Robinson from the 1940s and 50s, he was a defensive master. And um, a lot of those guys who, like, made a science out of it, you know, put artistic techniques in, into play. That's the kind of guys I did. Because I didn't want to get hit because I always thought that, you know, I didn't want to be one of those guys who stirred my speech when I was done with my career because I used to want to be pro. And I didn't want to, you know, who needs to take punches when you don't have to, you know? That was my theory. Yeah, because I, and I know it's like any full contact sport, of course, there's always going to be that risk of uh, injury. I mean, just an uh, example I can think of like professional wrestling, even though it's choreographed, uh, Chris Benoit. Uh, you know, his diving headbutt and how unfortunately he ended up murdering his wife and son and killing himself. And there's people who think that some of the concussions he suffered and some of the in, you know head injuries he took may have played a role in that. But right. yeah, I mean, it's um, it's still I mean, we again, we do a little bit of boxing in Kung Nu, but so far we just do more boxing drills. We don't really work mm-hmm. on the different, uh, you know, we don't really work on the, the different styles, but yeah. So now, when in your experience studying martial arts, have you ever been a part of a martial art that would have like large regional events? Because I know they do in Kung Nu, but unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to get to one of those yet. But this was just another one of those experiences with martial arts that's always stayed with me. Uh, back when I think this was in winter of '95. Um, it was either late 94 or early 95. I just remember mm-hmm. it was winter and it was cold. But we went to a regional Tang Sudo event down in Iowa. So I remember having to leave Oshkosh at like 3 in the morning or something like that. It was some ungodly hour. But, I mean, it was fun because we got to meet, I got to meet Grandmaster J.C. Shin, who Unfortunately, he did pass away a few years ago, but he signed my mm-hmm. white belt, so that was pretty cool. Wow. Um, but it was a fun experience because, again, you because at this time, I remember I was still very new to martial arts, and I had just mm-hmm. only seen martial arts with a cert, with a small group of people, and you know, so just to be in this gymnasium at a, a school just full of people all in their different karate geese. And, you know, it was interesting seeing the different school logos on the back of uh, each of these geese and, you know, just all of us practicing, you know, together in unison. So that was a very, I don't know, it was almost like a religious experience for me that, hey, I'm not the only one who knows this art. There's other people that do it as well. And uh, I I think I talked a little bit about this a, um, a few episodes ago, how, you know, we broke into different sessions where for my group, first we did break falls. Uh, then I remember we did that. We had that session with one of the masters where he taught us some self-defense type techniques you could use with like a pen or a pencil. And then we did right. some sparring drills. But, I, you know, it was fun. It was interesting to have a chance to meet, you know, not only the grandmaster of the style, but, you know, also meet other people who practice that particular, you know, martial art that I was studying. Have right. you ever had any situations like that, or did you not? Uh, did you, the martial arts you study not really belong to any of those larger organizations? It's funny because I had experiences like that in both Taekwondo and in boxing. Um, not so much in Jiu-Jitsu because back then, 20-some years, 21 years ago, it was totally different than it is now. You were lucky if you found anybody to train with. Now, BJJ is everywhere. But first in Taekwondo, this is the only benefit I think Taekwondo had over everything because it was such um, the tournaments that I went to were so uh, well organized, like a well-oiled machine. And you got to know a lot of families and a lot of uh, people from around the state and around this region, the country that, that you know you probably wouldn't have been able to meet any other way. I mean, a lot. Of, it was it was a more family environment, whereas in boxing it was more of a uh, you know, you had the guy, it was all, it was all men back then, you know, there's women that do it now, but it wasn't back then. And, you know, there was some guys in there that were really like, had some really interesting, colorful personalities. And, 
you know, some of them likable, some of them not so likable, some of them that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let a dog I liked around, <laughs> you know, but, you know, it was interesting, but I would say the Taekwondo experience was a little bit better in that respect. And that's probably the only benefit Taekwondo had over any other martial art I've studied. Okay. So what would you say are some of the best things that martial arts has done for you in your years of training in different styles? Probably shown that I can accomplish something if I want to. Um, like up until I was successful in boxing, I don't want to say I was a loser, but I, I tended to quit things really quickly. I'd, I'd start things. If I wasn't successful, I'd quit them. But with boxing, I'd built so much, built it up so much in my head over the, growing up the three years previous to me joining the club that I thought to myself, I will never live it down to myself if I if I quit this. No matter what kind of beating I take, I've got to go out there and you know show I belong there because nobody I knew thought I'd be successful. Everyone thought I would come back all beaten to a pulp, and I showed myself, especially me. I I wanted it. I knew I would be good if I if I you know, stuck with it. And I was, and it showed me that I could do it. And it made me successful in other things. I mean, it took me six years to get a BA, but I knew if I stuck with it, I was going to get it eventually. And same thing with even something simple, like finding a spouse. And I took me a long time to find my wife finally, but when I found her, I finally found the love of my life. So, yeah. You know what? I was actually about to, I have a similar experience, so I'm going to have to share that with you in just a moment here. But I have to say overall, the one thing that, martial art the best thing martial arts probably did to me was helping me lose a lot of weight in college because mm -hmm. the i remember this again this is just one of those moments that made me train harder uh around i remember it was january of 95 now when i first entered college in 90 autumn of 94 i figured i was around 270 280 mm -hmm. and then, you know, so when I got into college, I was doing martial arts. I was lifting weights in the, you know, the student uh, fitness center. And then I remember uh, when I was at a friend's house uh, in January, because it was like, you know, during the winter break, I weigh, stepped on a scale, weighed myself, and I was like in the 290-pound mark. Now, I don't think I was taking into consideration the clothes I was wearing, so that was probably one of the other things. But it's mm -hmm. like I thought, okay, well, I've been doing all this weight loss. I've been, you know, work. I've been exercising more. How come I'm not losing weight? Now, granted, back then I didn't know as I didn't realize that when you exercise a lot, you gain muscle, which can make it seem like you're weighs more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, I think part of it was just weight gain from. Well, you know how they talk about it. You go to college, you get the freshman fifteen, right? So you know, maybe some of it was that because. You know, you go to school, you got the all-you-can-eat, you know, buffets that I was, you know, in the commons that I was taking advantage of. Right. But when I saw that, that was kind of the moment where, like, okay, I got to start training harder. And, you know, so I did. And then I was more mindful of what I was eating. And then I remember at spring break, I was at a back in back in town, and I was at a friend's house, stepped on a scale, and I was down 40 pounds. So... Um, overall, I would say that I probably, you know, lost around 110, 120 pounds through my college years. But when you talk about getting wow. a spouse, uh, this is, <laughs> okay, I was at a friend's house for a party and he lived in a, like an old style farmhouse. So he had this really big main room and I remember, you know, people were there, you know, like you know, just dancing around, having a good time, and people sat down to take a break. And for some reason, I started practicing, you know, doing my martial arts techniques, and people were watching it. And uh, he, they handed me a couple of swords, so I was dancing around with swords and, you know, did with a pole axe as well. So, you know, it was way cool. So, you know, it was a lot of fun. And then afterwards, an older friend of mine comes up to me and asks if I'm dating anyone because there was this one woman who was there. It's like, because she's interested in you, and it's like, then, yeah, that... That woman eventually became my wife. So, yeah, one of my friends oh, was joking. Oh. It's like, I didn't know it back then, but I was doing a mating dance. So, <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Maybe that's the best thing that martial arts has done to me. <laughs> right. So, any closing thoughts for this episode? 
I don't know, probably one of the best things about martial arts from my experience is the stories that you come away with. I like how I can share these stories um, with people, whoever is interested and whoever I talk with, like a forum like this, because um, back when I was training in boxing, my trainer would regale us with stories of his amateur days. He almost fought George Foreman in an amateur tournament. Jerry Quarry ended up, you know, beating him, so he didn't get to fight Foreman. So it's interesting being a middle-aged person, the position I'm in that, you know, finally I get to tell these stories and these old war stories. Yeah. You know, that, that is a good point. I mean, it's like, yeah, we're, uh, I, I'm sure that both of us were wide-eyed white belts at one time listening to people talk about stories from their training. And yeah, now that we're older and hopefully wiser, we can tell those same stories as well. <laughs> exactly. So, well, uh, thank you for joining me today, Marcus. And, uh, thanks you guys for tuning in and hopefully you enjoyed listening to a couple of middle-aged guys, uh, talking about some of the, highs and lows of their martial arts training so with that said thanks again for tuning in and keep those kicks above the belt and below the face check out the guys over at eclectic media project they bring you podcasts such as musically challenged whose podcast is it anyway want to hear something interesting and their newest podcast page 3.14 news check them out on podbean and itunes at eclectic media project on their website at www.eclecticmediaproject.com. Check them out as they are the home with a little something for almost everyone. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.